This is an ABC podcast. This podcast contains strong language. If that might bother you... Piss off! Previously on Overwhelmed and Dying, Judith's brother died. She's single and not feeling great about her career. Just get over yourself, Lucy. I'm a voiceover guy. You think I feel great about my life? You think I enjoy saying stuff like, This week on The Bachelor, Mia gets drunk again and acts like a slut. You know, I'd really be getting annoyed about your attitude, but it's the ABC, so we're not actually paying you. What? Hello, I'm Judith Lucy, and I'm overwhelmed and dying. Just before turning 50, I realised that I was totally overwhelmed by the state of the world and my own life. But I also felt like time was running out. So the question is, how to make the most of the years that I have left on this planet? Are you single? No, no. Happily married with 2.3 children. 2.3? Interesting. The point three is a puppy. Does that count? I don't want to give myself to one person. I want to give myself to everybody. I stopped trying to find happiness through relationships. and It, was a, it wasn't a loss, it was a revelation for me. I am single but Ooh. enjoying the company of someone at the moment. Oh. But I will ruin that very shortly, well so... <laughs> Last time, we talked about sex and intimacy. And I really sorted myself out with some tantric tango, genital meditation and a cunt portrait. Or as I like to call the whole experience, Vulva Alive! But as alive as my vulva is, I'd be lying if I said that I'd lost all interest in ever being in a relationship again. Look, try not to throw up into your own mouth, but I really do believe that one of the reasons that we're all here is to connect with people, whether that's with a partner or reaching out to the person from a different background sitting opposite you on the train. So that's what we're looking at today in an episode called Are People Shit? Let's start off with sexual relationships. I'm told that the only way to meet anyone these days is to get on an app. I've never done it. When the whole internet dating thing started, I put up a personal ad that read, I cannot ride a bike and I hate walks along the beach. I smoke and drink heavily and the only other thing I enjoy doing is watching TV. I have large breasts. Now, incredibly, I only received two responses. The first one said, I like the sound of your large breasts. Difficult to know whether that was from a man or a bra fitter. And a very succinct and candid email that simply said, I like to wank. I like to wank a lot. We were married for a while, but he turned out to be a bit of a loner. It can be such a minefield that I sometimes wonder how anyone ever winds up meeting anyone. Do I get back out there? Do I get on an app? Someone who's been down this path is the hilarious comedian Nikki Britton. 
I want to apologise to you for the fact oh. that we have talked a little bit about men and I I think on more than one occasion I've yeah. simply gone, you're a female comedian, <laughs> just give up. It's simply never going to happen for you. You will never be in a happy relationship. <laughs> I want to say that I've changed my mind about that, but I, I haven't, but, I, but I'm certainly here to say I feel bad for saying it out loud. Are you on any apps at the moment? Are you putting yourself out there in that regard? I have an on-again, off-again relationship with the apps, which doesn't bode well for an actual relationship that might come out of them. But I download them, I'm on them, I'm consistent. I speak to girlfriends who are like, it's a full-time job, you need to be in there if this is what you really want to do. I feel I've heard that line so many times. It's a job. I don't want another job. No. I want to be on the job. On the job. That's what I'm looking for. Thank you. I download them and then I hate them and then I get rid of them all and then I get lonely and then I download them and I am on one at the moment. Uh, There was a man last night actually who said I'm a curvy woman hunter and I'm just out there for women with boobs. I all at once felt so reduced, but also, well, <laughs> yeah, I've got boobs. It's, it's, it's a bittersweet one, isn't it? Yeah. I'm not getting anything other than bittersweet, really, on the apps, if I'm honest. Feel free not to share this story, but I, I was particularly taken with a little tale that, well, involved a first date and a farmer's market that sounded oh, yeah. very promising. Yeah. Oh, so promising. We went on a first date on a Sunday morning. And was this through an app, Nikki? Sorry. This was this was an app, yep. yep. We'd spoken for quite a few weeks. We'd created a bit of a connection, I thought. And we went on a Sunday morning to the farmer's market and walked around, got some breakfast, held hands here and there, looked at the artisanal vegan cheeses and generally had a lovely time. And then we went back to my house and sat in the afternoon sunshine and shared stories and he started playing on my ukulele. Ugh, so cliche. We had a smooch and it was a lovely time. And then I'll be frank with you, the ukulele might have set my alarm bells off, but other than that, it's a terrific story. (laughs) I went away for work, he went away for work, and then uh, I wrote to him about a month later and I said, hey, I know we've both been busy, but I'm back in Sydney, do you want to catch up for that second date? And he said, I'd love to. What are you doing on Thursday night? Actually, I don't have any plans. And he said, great, because I'm going to a swingers club for a sex party, do you want to join me? It's a leap, isn't it? It's, it's a, a it's pretty, a leap. It's a pretty big leap from ukulele to group sex. I'm still with the artisanal cheese. <laughs> and suddenly we're somewhere else entirely. Second day, that's <laughs> dinner, isn't it? Dinner and a movie, maybe. <laughs> maybe even a raunchy movie. But a gosh. Raunch- sure. And no judgment to people whose lives are full of that sort of polyamory. Good on you. Get out there. Can I ask what your response was? Well, this is what happens. You are in a pit of loneliness at a certain point and you have just dodged dating profiles with guys with weapons in their profile picture or, and you think, well, maybe this is all I've got left. And so I did. I asked a few questions. I said, okay, well... Hang on. Where is it and what would be involved and do they take names? And Anyway, look, now I have a lot of information about a swingers club. I did not go, but Mm. I feel like I've always got it up my sleeve just in case. (laughs) 
<laughs> and you know, off air, I might get some of that info off you if that's all right. You very well just, do it. Just, just sitting there as well. Oh, call me crazy, but if you're a single lady, do you reckon there's still a bit of a stigma? Oh. God, on every single level. I think getting into a taxi, frequently asked, oh, where is your family and do you have a family? And, oh, you don't. And do you have a husband? Well, you better get on to that. From that to I was putting together a wardrobe on the weekend and the instructions had two people holding up a wardrobe. That's discrimination because maybe I should have gone to the swingers club and just asked if anyone was handy with a screwdriver, which would have welcomed in a whole new (laughs) conversation. But, yeah, absolutely, I think there is a stigma. I think I'm certainly moved out of ingenue. I don't know I'm... If I've fully entered crone yet, but I'm somewhere well, I in the have. middle. <laughs> I have embraced it. Are you happy with where your life is at the moment? I think I've learned to be really grateful for where I am and what I've got, but it never stops me looking forward to what could be. Yeah. Comparison will kill you. Oh, yeah. In career or comparing your body to someone else or comparing your choices or your home life or your marriage situation, surefire recipe for depression. Am I happy? Yeah. Could it be better? Sure. So that was Nikki's experience. But what do the men have to say? I asked comedian Brett Blake and... Dean Arcuri, busy homosexual. ...for their app advice. Dean, can I ask, are you single? I'm so single I've forgotten the question. Okay, great. Brett? Uh, I... I'm single but Ooh. enjoying the company of someone at the moment. Oh. But I will ruin that very shortly. Well so <laughs> People look at a middle-aged woman who's single and simply think, buy a cat and embrace death. <laughs> and so, Dean, I wanted to ask you, as a middle-aged gay man, how are you perceived? Uh, look, I'm pretty much on the spectrum of gay men. I'm actually past your 51 single woman. Like, I'm a 41-year-old gay man that's single, so I'm basically done. So I'm like 65 in Oh, comparison. wow. Oh, it's like yeah. gay years. Is yeah, that, is gay that different? Years, it's worse than dog years. Okay. Like, I'm basically stuffed. I, last time I was in a relationship was when I was 26, and I've only ever been in three with guys, and they've all been named Daniel, which was not intentional. <laughs> so I ruled that name out. But I haven't actually been in a relationship, oh, God, in a very long while. I'm always on the hunt. I'm always looking out there, but it's about making a decent connection, which I find physically impossible anymore to do because everyone's sitting online or when you're in person, everyone wants to have an argument and I'm just like, what the hell is going on? So I try, but do I try well? Well, I'm still single, so obviously not And well. are, you, are you on Grindr? Do I'm you on do all anything of the like apps. That? Right. I'm on a lot of online because that's what you have to do now. You've got to be online. Brett. You went on a date last night. Can you talk us through that? And did you meet this person through an app? Well, see, I normally am the first person to slag off online dating and apps because I find them a nightmare. It's work. It's more work than a full-time yeah. job online dating. It's a fucking nightmare. What was it about her profile that made you think, yeah, I'd like to meet her? A guy has to have a lot up there and a lot out there and a lot of things written. Whereas if you're a beautiful lady, they generally don't write anything and just have four photos or maybe they have their Instagram handle on there so they can gain some extra followers. She didn't have much written about her. 
But she had one photo where she just had a very beautiful smile and she happened to have a shirt of a brewery on that I was aware of and I said, and then that's what started the uh-huh. conversation. This is like a true romance story right now. It's good, isn't it's it? Good. I love yeah. the fact yeah. that beer is bringing you together. This could actually well, be beer's going to break us apart at some stage, <laughs> trust me. I would like a someone, but... I just feel like I'm fighting an uphill battle. I'll be really honest, half the time trying to meet that someone. Online dating's made it all worse because everyone forgets to be normal or talk. Like it was almost. What does that mean? Well, it was almost easier when when homosexuality was illegal, so everyone had to kind of put more work in. Everyone's always looking for the next big thing Mm -hmm. instead of looking at what's right in front of them, and that's why we're all screwed. I need some worse dates. All right, so I've had someone walk off on me. We've met up, we've chatted a while, we've we've chatted on the apps. All right, let's meet at the bar. And I'm that kind of person now after all of these bad dates where I'll just throw out my number. If you seem interesting, here's my number. Let's chat or text. The worst thing that can happen is nothing. But we, so this person was like, yep, great, love your confidence. Let's meet up. I went, all right, well, shall we do rounds? Thinking there's at least two drinks in there. We'll get to know each other mm. a little bit more. I get the first round. He finishes his drink really quickly and goes, I've got to go to the toilet goes to the back of the bar and apparently I found out like an half an hour later had jumped the fence (gasps) and left during the date to get away from me. But I and that's when I was like, all right, and what's going on? Are you okay? And then I kept messaging on the app and it's like, yeah, I'm just I'm just in the loo of just having a bit of trouble. So I'm like, all right, someone's having a bit of worry. Then I realized pretty quickly, I'm like, no one's walked past me. He's not in the toilet. He's left. And an hour and a half later, he, I, I was like a bit down on myself. So my friends like, we'll come and meet you. Come and meet us at this bar. He rocked up there. Oh my God. Yeah. And what did you do? Oh, I threw him a drink at him. Oh. Like I, I was just like, screw you. Yeah. Get the hell out. Yeah. Like the fact that he jumped the fence was That's uh, fucking like, wild. Like yes. you couldn't just say, cause when I'm not into someone, I'm like, I'm going to be honest. I'm not feeling it. Let's yep. have a few more drinks. I'm very straight down the line. Uh, would you both say though, that if I'm not interested in getting involved in online dating or on an app, that basically there's no hope <sighs> in this day and age? I would say some of the people I've recently dated, I've met at a bar when I haven't been performing or doing something like that. And I've really enjoyed that connection. And I've probably seen them for a lot longer period of time. But fuck, it's hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because yeah. everyone's so with their back against the wall. And then in the day and age of, I'm scared to approach women in bars because of the society we live in. I yeah. don't want to feel like I'm harassing That's a girl yeah. Yeah. when I'm actually, I go, oh, there's a beautiful girl. She looks like fun, yeah. but she's with a group of girls. Yeah. But I don't want to be like, who the fuck's that guy coming up yeah. to me? It's hard. Whereas some girls like, guys don't come up to me in the bars. Like, I'm fucking scared to. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to get, that guy's like, oh, that creep's coming up to and me. And yet I'm that's not... all I'm used to. <laughs> yes. That's what I grew up with. Yeah. Yeah. You got pissed, you fucked yeah. a stranger. Everyone was happy. We are living in a time when, getting serious, gender stereotypes are finally getting the airing out that they deserve. It's hard to ignore the fact that, yep, here it comes, the patriarchy has screwed women and the LGBTQIA community. But what has it done to straight men? I know, boo-hoo. But how are we going to change anything without those men examining themselves? Someone who's explored this is David Laser in his book Women, Men and the Whole Damn Thing. Boys are taught not to show their vulnerability, not to be tender, not to display insecurity, to be strong, to be in control. 
And to be right, do And you to think? be right. Yeah. And to be right. Not to wrestle with ambiguity. Mm. And that those feminine values, they're girly, they're sissy, suck it up, be a man. So you start off as this very sweet, tender, delicious little boy and slowly but surely the culture knocks that out of you. Tim Winton said something beautiful. You know, you start out with all the colours of the rainbow in your pencil case and by the time you become a teenager as a boy, you're left with blue, black and purple. Go live a life with that. The first act of violence of the patriarchy is shaming what I would call those archetypal feminine values of collaboration, intuition, tenderness, sensitivity, vulnerability. Therefore, you don't know how to deal with those emotions because you've never had the language for it. So when things get complex, men erupt. Men micromanage the women in their lives. They, they beat them. The figures for domestic violence are unbelievable. Mm. And my book is not about telling women what to think because God knows they've had centuries of that. My book is a call out to other men to come on this journey with me of actually ruthless self-interrogation and to see what part we all play in this and how we might change it. Are you optimistic? Already we've seen the Me Too movement have quite a, a backlash. Yeah, men are confused. Well, women have been violated, mutilated, murdered, raped, silenced, degraded for centuries. So there's a bit of confusion for men right now. And I'm not denying its complexity. But I think this is an electric moment where women's testimony is being believed. Not long after I started doing stand-up comedy, I was asked to do an end-of-year lunch for a local suburban football team. I actually love footy, but had a strong feeling that this very blokey audience might not be that interested in me unless I stripped. When the coach pulled me aside before the gig to tell me that he wanted me to give one of the players a hard time for shitting in the showers, I could feel the afternoon slowly turning into a waking nightmare. Long story short, though, not only did the gig go well, but, uh, well, I hung around, got drunk with them and wound up sharing a bong with two of the young players in their car while sitting on a pack of pornographic playing cards. Look, in many ways it wasn't my finest hour, but I had a ball with those guys and normally our paths simply wouldn't have crossed. How do we meet, listen and relate to someone outside of our comfort zone? someone who we might even violently disagree with, and what happens if that's a member of your own family. Now, David, the article you wrote that I particularly wanted to talk to you about today was a visiting cousin told me she voted for Trump. Here's what I did next. Could you tell us a bit about that story? My cousin... Meredith, she arrived in Sydney and I'm showing her some of the beautiful parts of the city and she said something and I realised in what she'd said that she'd voted for Donald Trump and I think I just had a brain snap because I'd never met a Donald Trump supporter. I pulled the car over. I said, you're not serious. You fucking voted for Donald Trump. I can't fucking believe my cousin would vote for Donald Trump. And she said, well, I would never, never vote for that wicked, wicked woman. And she said, are you kicking me out of your car? And I said, yes. And then I said, no. And then I said, I don't know. And I collected myself and we kept driving. And she said, wow, cuz, you know, that really caused a reaction. We went and had a drink. 
I apologised to her and I wrote a story about this moment where I had behaved appallingly. I had what I'd call an amygdala hijack Mm. and I realised that I hadn't asked her why she voted for Trump. I hadn't asked her about what it was like growing up in Alabama where he first appeared on the hustings. I had given no thought to that this was a Confederate state and that I knew nothing about my cousin's thinking and sensibilities on any of this. All I'd done was just react and be bad-mannered. And I realised not only was I all of those things, but I was part of the problem that's gripping society today, Mm. that everybody is hunkered down in their version of what's right and what's true, trying to understand how it is we build bridges between those with whom we disagree, often vehemently. And subsequently, I've seen a number of very, very poignant examples. Dia Khan, the Norwegian-Pakistani filmmaker, did a film called White Right, and she went to Charlottesville post the riots She wanted to meet the head of the Ku Klux Klan and the white supremacists. And she was everything that they not only loathed, that they wanted to actually eliminate. Dark, Muslim, feminist woman. Mm. And what she did was she went down there to interview them and to actually ask them, why do you hate me so much? In the process, she befriended some of these people and they ended up leaving the Ku Klux Klan and the white supremacist movement. Wow. And she engaged in what she called... Radical empathy. How do we actually behave in a way that embraces a radical empathy for those with whom we disagree? And what are some of the steps to embracing that? Because you've talked about the importance and the difficulty of being able to really listen to people. The act of listening, I think, is partly the act of looking behind and under stridency and self-righteousness and anger. Can you talk a bit about visiting the village in Israel, the name of which means in English Oasis of Peace? Yeah, in Hebrew it's called Neves Shalom, and in Arabic it's called Wahat al-Salam. It's the only kind of village in the world where enemies live together. Israeli Palestinians, Israeli Arabs and Israeli Jews. And they've made a conscious decision to live together and raise their children together. So this is in the 90s. And they had this gathering of all the protagonists of the first uprising, the Intifada, which had erupted in Gaza in 1987. And they wanted to bring all the voices from that conflict into one room for three days. You had enemies sitting in this room. And for the first day, people screamed at each other. A woman screaming at the Israelis, you blew up my family home, you exiled my son. Mm. And then someone screaming back, well, you blew up the number 17 bus. I lost my daughter on that bus. I mean, it was just excoriating. Mm. And everybody was weeping and, and frozen with the enormity of this conflict was almost distilled down into what was in that room. No one was listening. Everyone was trading sorrow for sorrow, wound for wound, death for death. And then after about a day and a half, people started to listen and they listened to each other in ways that were profound and beautiful. And by the end of the third day, people were hugging 
And what took the place of all of that rage was the common humanity and the shared vulnerability. I've never forgotten it. I never will forget it. Something else you've talked about is that idea of trying to be more comfortable with ambiguity, Mm. which I think is something humans just really struggle with because we like to lock things down. How do we get more comfortable with uncertainty and ambiguity, do you think? I think it's a practice because basically everything is uncertain. Yeah. We all have experienced loss and it's come out of the clear blue sky. Nothing is guaranteed. We live on this threshold of a contingency. Things are provisional. And what we do naturally as humans is we want to shore up our sense of security as best we can. That's why our homes are so important to us. For me, that's not a cause for alarm. It's a cause for a deep sense of gratitude. Mm. I have my health. My daughters are healthy. You know, that's expression, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. And right now things are good. But I have no guarantee that things will continue to be good. In fact, I know they won't. David White, one of my favourite poets, he talks about this learning to make friends with the horizon, what you can't see yet. And I like that idea and I, I think about that a lot. I love that idea too. Something I don't seem to love is talking to the people I live right next door to. I've never known my neighbours. Seriously, the only time I've ever really interacted with one was when my friend Andrea and I lived in a flat above an elderly woman who complained if we flushed the toilet or walked around after midnight. She'd make her feelings known by playing her organ very loudly, although she and I did have a lovely conversation one day when I was walking past her door and she opened it and simply said, you're an animal. Again, I'm stating the obvious, but hey, that's what I do. So often our responses are governed by fear. That was certainly something I'd heard from the people I'd met at Space to Be an art and design social enterprise that's been established to support refugees, asylum seekers and newly arrived migrants to become financially independent through training, mentoring and creative enterprise. Okay, that is straight off their website. So Space to Be is just around the corner from me. Getting involved with them was my attempt to do something locally about an issue that, yes, overwhelmed me. What I'm saying is that I want to do something to help refugees, but only if it involves a five-minute walk from where I live. Myself and another wonderful performer, Claire Larman, had helped put together a little storytelling night for the organisation to help raise money and awareness. Here's Janine, co-founder of space to be talking about the importance of stories. People are about their stories. Everyone has a story. And the more you understand the story, the more people become human and just like you. You know, they're not African or Indian or... You're just human. And I think they're really important. I hadn't seen these people in months. I mean, frankly, I'd done my bit, hadn't I? I decided to check in with some of them at a reunion lunch. I asked them to talk a bit about what it was like to move to a completely different country. I came from Cairo, from Egypt, coming from Pin to Hope, but maybe it's a safe place and a place where you feel free, respected, accepted, 
and you are a value. When I arrived here first time, it's exact everything different. Shopping, we can't read a letter, and sometimes we buy, you know, pet food. I don't have that feeling of being from some place. I'm just like, I live here, then I move to there, I travel to there. I'm not, I don't feel Spanish, but. I don't feel English either. The other day I thought if I had an emergency and my husband was out of town, who would I ring? I come from Chile. We are more extrovert and very curious. And all the time the people ask him, Hi, Maria, how are you? Uh, I say, yes, yes, but I have uh, this problem. The people look at me like, what is happening with this girl? Because in Chile, you're sharing your feelings. So when people All say, how feelings. are you, they yeah. really mean it. Yeah. Whereas when yeah. people say, how are you here, we just so want you to go, fine. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's just the polite yeah. way for ask, how are you? You almost have to put yourself out there. And if you make mistakes along the way, that's fine. That's what sorry is for. We have a saying in India that the Brits left us one good thing. Sorry. <laughs> I am so grateful, like every one of, of you, to be in Australia. I wish to see a glass or something that you can wear and you can see souls, not bodies. If I look at you, I don't know if you are a woman, if you are a man. I just see your soul. I hadn't been traumatised by war or anything. I spoke the language. You know, there's that saying, connections are who we are, they're why we exist. So you arrive here, you have no connections, you don't mean anything to anyone. And it's like, you know, who am I? And then you go and say hello to a group of people and you've, you're virtually ignored. So the, to me, the biggest thing, my biggest excitement was when someone invited me for a cup of tea. So yeah, listen, get out of your comfort zone, share a Chico roll, whatever the fuck they really are. God, I hope you people are making notes. I still don't know that I'll be getting on an app, but I was honestly starting to feel a bit better about the state of the world. Meeting and talking to different people always inspires me. I really do believe that we all have more in common than we think. My friends suck, but strangers are great. I can't tell you how much I'd enjoyed working with the space to be people, but no one's paying me for that. Is trying to do stuff like that my purpose? I'm loving making this podcast, but let's be frank, it's the ABC, so no one's really paying me for that either. Stand-up comedy has been my career for over 30 years, and at times I've really struggled with it both because of anxiety, but also because, oh, I don't know, was I really born to tell stories about passing out in toilets? Shouldn't I be putting out fires in the Amazon rainforest? We'll examine career and purpose next time in Episode 5. Stand back, everyone. I'm a comedian. I'm Judith Lucy, and I think you might have guessed by now. I'm overwhelmed and dying. Can I bring you back to maybe that article and ask you how you and your cousin wound up going in the end and where your relationship's at now? Well, we drank a lot of Southern Comfort. That always helps. And we talked about our families 
and we talked about our interests and our loves and our passions and the music that we liked and the books that we'd read. We didn't talk about politics ever again. And we developed a, a love and respect for each other. Judith Lucy, Overwhelmed and Dying is an ABC Audio Studios production. Produced by Carla Arnold, sound design by Brendan O'Neill, voiceover by Stephen Briggs, theme music composed and performed by Gareth Skinner, executive producer Tom Wright, special thanks to Justine Kelly, Ian Walker, Kaz Cook, Andrea Powell and Jane Dullard, Head of Audio Studios, Kelly Reardon. Created, written and presented by me, Judith Lucy. Hey, Judith Lucy fans, it's Yumi Steins from Ladies We Need to Talk. Now, I know that Judith has got you all giving the middle finger to menopause, jumping in the freezing ocean at dawn and generally rocking getting older, but I wanted to tell you something else about that pesky M word. Sometimes, like an annoying dinner party guest, the menopause fairy arrives early. Yes, before you reach that certain age. So let me ask you, sore boobs, losing your libido and irregular periods, does that sound familiar? Welcome to perimenopause, the menopause that just can't wait. Ladies We Need to Talk has a whole episode about it, plus a whole heap more like fat talk, the mental load and what we can do with our boobs besides love them sick. You can find Ladies We Need to Talk on the ABC Listen app or on a podcast app like Apple and Google.